Blog Talk Radio. So don't you will 
This is Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady. Father, and your white great grandfather saw 
killed my great-grandfather and your white-grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied, and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Should 
those who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. Uh, it's you liberals who have lifted them up, Howard. Paul, you conservatives make a mistake. You can't afford to strangle hope in people. Without hope, people become dangerous. No, Howard, you liberals have let them invade our society. You give them jobs, political jobs. Paul, you missed the point. It's only the smart ones we move up. <laughs> that makes it even worse. No, no, we have to move them up. If we leave a smart one in the ghetto, he might develop into a leader against us. But if we raise him up into white society, we neutralize him. He feels compelled to try to act like us. He loses his identity and uh, his racial anger, if he has any. He becomes alien to his brothers. They realize he sold them out and they grow to hate him. He becomes worthless to them and safe for us. That's no thank you. In fact, in his love for the creature comforts, except for his color, he's become one of us. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon. And as your host, Brother Africa, it's always an honor and a privilege to come to your homes this evening where we can speak truth to the powerful and the power of this. Today our theme is U.S. Front Yard, a relationship from slavery. That's our theme today on the 15th day of October 2023. We invite you to come and join us, and you can do that by dialing 323-679-0841. Like always, my political panelists, the analysts will send the seat, and they will take the heat, because as they decide it, they will stand behind it. So join us after on the moon. Like always, we will introduce to you our political panelists and analysts, discuss what's going on in your world community, and we'll follow our today's theme, which is, again, U.S. Front Yard, a relationship from slavery. So that's our order for today, like always. I'm your host, Brother Africa. And like always, you know how we get started with our party. We're going to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So at this particular time, we'd like to bring in Brother Haki, who is a member of the African Awareness Association. And we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. 
My name is Haki Kamathi Mashoki. Currently, I'm with African Awareness and, of course, Brother Africa. You know, my thing is about institution building. But, you know, one of the things I think that's important, uh, there is, you know, this discussion in terms of human motivation. Uh, when it comes down to the question of profitability versus insecurity, it becomes a very, very interesting question. Because uh, one of the things when you talk about in terms of human motivation, one of the things is ironic is that when you think about so many poor people beholden to a system which essentially allows them to, it disallows the opportunity for profitability, when you think about that, then you figure out that what is their real motivation in terms of actually participating in the system that is actually diametrically opposed to their own to their survival. So I don't it's hard to argue or make the case that in fact that their behavior is motivated by profitability. In fact, that is not an option for them. So it seems to me that this question in terms of insecurity has to be addressed. Because I think it has to be factored in terms of in terms of political movement, in terms of combating the insecurity that people feel. And I don't think if we successfully, without successful means by which is combat insecurity in human beings, I think one of the things that becomes more problematic in terms of trying to get people to move forward, in terms of making the uh, making the steps they have to make, in terms of being you know genuinely free you know in the society. But in any brother Africa. Uh, this question of insecurity, I want you to check this out. Now, insecurity has, that has historically plagued humanity in part, resulting from the reason for human uh, existence and our, role, <clears throat> and our role in the cosmos, has been exacerbated by the creation of an eco-political system, capitalism, that legitimizes insecurity to a level that's unprecedented in the annals of human evolution. This relative short history of reinforcing human insecurity began with the distortion of the oneness of, human, of humanity by compartmentalizing human existence as separate entities and assigning value to humanity using subjugation, political and economic, to justify debasement or putting down large numbers of humanity across the board, resulting in internalized insecurities. Now, the process of formulating insecurity to make subjugation of humanity easier and more effective began with the erroneous belief it was creation itself that demanded the economic exploitation of the poor because it was in the poor's interest to endure hardship. This theme was expanded to include proclamations that insisted skin color behavior was biologically determined, and with this inherent genetic defect, insecurity was perceived as a norm among certain groups. Little or no consideration was given to the mass exodus out of Africa in terms of homo sapiens between 80,000 and 50,000 years ago uh, populating the world, or the role darker people play in the dissemination of math, science, astronomy, or medicine, or the, or the original universities that serve as the catalyst. Now, this acculturational process of facilitating insecurity among humanity was all-inclusive. Norms established to ensure women internalized insecurity was incorporated in academia and cultural tradition, extolling the physiological limitations of women, aborting on disgust, asked Nick Fuentes, and the inherent worthlessness of women outside of sexual gratification. Ironically, the spiritual dimensions of women as the foundation of any society is very apparent, and to dismiss this fact can only exist in the minds of those who are insecure. In addition, the fact female DNA, more specifically, mitochondria DNA, impact on humanic, human genetic code is really quite indispensable, and without this contribution from women, the transfer of vital genetic information would be impossible. Now, putting this statement in the context, I should acknowledge the sexism of the 15th, 16th, and 17th centuries were not informed by current scientific inquiry, and the validity of such views 
may seem justifiable at that point in history. However, what is not justifiable is, in the 21st century, the continuation of attempts to justify males' sense of inferiority masquerading as superiority. This tendency to overcompensate, resulting from the feelings of up inferiority, has resulted in political uh, economic system innovations that have become crueler, more destructive, and more unjust, along with economic systems that destroy productivity to ensure wealth for a small group that works to ensure servitude among the population. <coughs> this has resulted in promoting propaganda and racist troops to keep the population marginalized. Now, the, now the, interestingly enough, the question of overcompensating is best exemplified by language which provides deeper exploration into the souls or conscious or the unconscious of human beings. One such example, the word mankind fits this bill perfectly. Many individuals maintain either you're a man or you're not. A kind of man strikes me as oxymoronic because to be kind of a, of a man is not to be a man at all. If physiological theory holds, excuse me, if psychological theory holds, if one, if, if one unconsciously perceives themselves to be something less than a man, overcompensating or engaging in behaviors that seek to elevate one's self-esteem <coughs> or, or validate attempts of being the center of the universe likely will result in, in actions or behaviors with, with disastrous outcomes. In other words, what psychologists refer to as duper's delight off the manifest. Duper's delight is defined as the emotional boost from taking advantage of other people. The more such, the more such people engage in injustice, the greater the thrill. Implicit in duper's delight is two paradoxes. One, pain inflicted on others for most people becomes the, the effect those inflicted, excuse me, one, pain inflicted on others for most people, that is, uh, begin to affect those inflicting pain. For example, prison guards who, uh, who abuse drugs to cope with dealing with the torment and pain inflicted on incarcerated people. It's an example. Secondly, uh, injustice inflicted upon others, or at least the perceived powerless, exploitation of economic gains by the poor are essential in defining uh, human existence, through, even though acquiring additional funds should not define what it is to be a human being. The reality is people are already human. Stated another, another way, if the assumption is more money will enhance your status as a man, what is the limit? Duper's delight, as in capitalism, <clears throat> enables the process as ongoing. If the process is ongoing, then recognition is not the end goal because <laughs> lots of money, according to capitalism, already elevates invisibility. It is possible that... Excuse me. It is possible the rejection of humane norms informs man is is possible. Excuse me, informs the unconscious drive to prove authenticity of being a man is at play. Something to really contemplate. Now, the tendency of capitalism to take advantage of the weak is the truest form of in, insecurity. Corporate injustices illustrate the point exactly. From ex, from accounting schemes to frauding poor citizens, out of estimated three hundred sixty billion dollars a year. To facilitating war, of which the United States has been at war out of 247 years, it's been at war for 227 years, and it killed over 3.6 million people involved in just three wars, World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam, and it killed another 8 to 10 million deaths in recent wars. Uh, the, the, in, in, taking this all into consideration, the level of indifference to mass killings persists as insecurity manifests, culminating in a more extreme way to facilitate mass deaths 
from refusing to fund global warming initiatives to sabotaging global supply chains, exacerbating poverty and deaths for millions of human beings throughout the planet. Now, now like the classroom, like the classroom bully inflicted with self-loathing, who seeks to elevate self-worth by beating up the weak to force them to bestow admiration upon him out of fear. The U.S. has been engaging in bullying weaker nations by threats of economic sabotage or military intervention. Luckily, this strategy of introducing lawfare on developing states' effectiveness is waning as more states in line with Cuba's example of resistance begin to stand up. Unfortunately, the opposite is occurring inside the continental U.S. as think tanks and their billionaire backers formulate new battle plans to assert their dominance and claim their inherent greatness against forces that threaten to expose how fragile and immaterial they really are. For example, the Heritage Foundation under Project 25 plans to replace government institutional power with corporate and or elite power. The aim, the aim is to implement a strict market-based economy, eliminate social spending, gravely weaken the Department of Justice, FBI, and Department of Homeland Security, unitary theory of the Constitution. Now, the unitary theory of the Constitution maintained under Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, the president has total control over the federal bureaucracy. In other words, the far right wants to restore any semblance of democracy where, uh, where authoritarian would reign, and the only interest served would be the wealthy. The last time such a political program was undertaken, a rather insecure man was, was who, <coughs> who dated his own cousin failed, but, but succeeded in killing millions of people. Insecurity always seems to be the, base, the basis of bad decisions. U.S. is overly saturated with insecure leaders and an economic system riddled with insecurity. The outcome of an economic decline can only be disastrous, as insecurities are increasingly stimulated by social political change. And I think as, as, as a community, we have to fundamentally understand in terms of something fundamentally wrong in terms of our, our willingness to, in, to, in, to embrace uh, values and attitudes were counted, which are totally counterproductive to our own well-being, to our own existence. So fundamentally, there's something really wrong, and we got to really think long and hard in terms of precisely what is it that really motivates human beings. And with that, Brother Africa, I will conclude. Thank you, Brother IT. Next, we make a transition to Brother Anthony. We'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Anthony. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party, GC. Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And from Brother Anthony, we will now go to Brother Moses, member of the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Africa. And greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice, especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to the father of the uh, scientific socialism, Marxism, during a government class in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. 
I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And we don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I, right now, I'm in voting process of revolution, and I think revolution is the solution. And so, you know, we have to unite the many to defeat the few, and only the truth can set us free, only the truth. The lies will not help us. We must stand on our principles and uh, fight the good fight. This is our struggle. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. You are listening to Africa the Moon as your host of Africa. We're going to be in the seat, and we're going to take the heat. We may not give you what you want, but we definitely give you what you need. At this particular time, we're going to pause for the call, take a rubber share culture break, and when we come back, we'll open up that segment, what's going on in your world and community. So join us. We'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Oh, 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 oh,
hablo y español, pero lo de nosotros sale del corazón, con sentimiento, con talento, violento, ojo, no con armas, sino con conocimiento, el intelecto emana de los foros, te metes en internet y lo ves en los foros, es sabiduría, aunque muchos locos piensen que son habladurías, por eso primero fondo la ciencia mía, para que después hablen como comadre, chismosa, yo te escribo en verso y en prosa, no soy Alice en el país de las maravillas, estamos claros, te portas mal, te atribillas, te hacen papillas, es que eso es obvio, o eres ángel o eres demonio, ni nino, o eres ángel o eres demonio, quiero ver a toda la gente con las manos arriba, ¿dónde están los latinos con las manos arriba? Que vive el hip hop con las manos arriba, ¿Qué? con las manos arriba, que viva la cultura con las manos arriba, el deporte con las manos arriba, Venezuela con las manos arriba, ¿Qué? ¿Qué? sentimiento, sabor, rumba, corazón, la salsa retumba, retumba el tambor, no se te olvide el moropo, recuerda el folclore, te lo digo el rap, crece la tensión, ritmo caribeño, se siente el calor, esta es música de calle, al que no le gusta que vaya a llorar para el valle, es música con estilo, tú estás claro así que solo dilo, como comerse una arepa, volar papagayo, llámalo, cometa, tropo perinola que te ruche las metras, música venezolana y todo lo que se haga en Venezuela, no solo es un ritmo, escucha las letras, tan criollo como que te vean y te digan epa, que te choquen las manos, al final del día, dale, hablamos, y lo que más me alegra, la gente latina siempre será gente negra. Comandante, te amo. Que Dios te bendiga. ¿Dónde está Maranta? El Amaranta y el Pinky, ¿dónde están? ¿No? La cantera. And 
the community. So right now we bring in Brother Haki. Brother Haki, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, Brother Africa, you know, one of the things, you know, we, we we talk a lot about propaganda, you know, but I thought it might be appropriate if just to give a concrete example in terms of how propaganda works. So maybe that would be clearer to people in terms of, you know, how uh, nefarious, you know, just how uh, destructive propaganda can be. Now, this involves an article I recently read, but it's a very interesting article because it, it quoted Elon Musk, and his position was that the EU faced the prospect of civil war or immigration. Now, the immigration he's alluding to involves darker-skinned people where he inadvertently contrasted immigration between South Americans and uh, Palestinians. He maintains immigrations could overwhelm social services as basis for greatly decreasing, or and when you talk about decreasing uh, uh, immigration, essentially it's a euphemism for in-migration or slowing it, a euphemism for undesirable elements. Now, the question becomes just why is Musk's assertions immigration will lead to economic decline propaganda? Well, one, immigrants on average out of South America and Central America contribute $1.3 trillion in, trillion in spending to the U.S. economy. They contribute $105 billion to economies of the largest states in the United States. As for taxes in 2014, immigrants paid an estimated $328 billion in federal, state, and local taxes. Now, when you break that down, federal taxes included like $224 billion, uh, $124 billion in Social Security, uh, Social Security $33 billion in Medicare taxes, $104 billion towards state and local taxes. This is according to the Census Bureau. Now, in 2019, Im- immigrants paid taxes to the tune of $492 billion. The amount of taxes yearly, <coughs> yearly raises, but immigrants' access to social service programs are very small compared to what they actually contribute to the United States uh, budget. Secondly, since, 20, since 2015, over 50% of immigrants from South America and Central America have college degrees. <clears throat> now, on the other hand, Brother Africa, uh, in relations to the Ukrainians, uh, 271,000 Ukrainians were sponsored by the U.S. since the start of war with Russia. On average, they plan to admit 1,500 Ukrainians per month into the U.S. under the Temporary Protected Status Program. U.S. Both U.S. State Department and Defense Department allocated $113 billion to support Ukrainian immigration. Additional U.S. aid this year accounts for $205 million, along with $275 million in humanitarian aid to immigrants. Under temporary protected status, 69,000 Ukrainians will be exempt from deportation or work requirements. When you view all this in its entirety, uh, uh, Ukrainian immigrants cost the U.S. considerably uh, more in treasure compared to what they contribute to the treasury. Uh, But, of course, Musk is not concerned about that, and I wonder why. So what is the real motivation for a tax on immigration since immigration is the result of U.S. Western and foreign policy? One, destruction of Western civilization, or this perception that some, there's something unique about the West, a disposition that, in fact, that in fact being in the West or being light-skinned and, and, uh, ensures you know, that you should always be on the top. And that when you talk about, you know, economic exploitation of people, they see it as a national phenomenon, and it should continue because that's the only way to manifest uh, the fact that you that you have control over the world. And so this kind of Western uh, sort of destruction, as they perceive it, a Western civilization is no more than just a, a, a Western ex, Western uh, expansion uh, in terms of the maintenance of control and power. 
Secondly, the decline of imperial world order. Of course, we we that's an example in terms of what's happening between France and, and Nigeria in terms of Nigerian Nigerian people waking up and realize that the exploitation has come to an end. So this kind of phenomenon has happened throughout the world. Increasingly, people around the world in the global south have become the realization that this kind of exploitation has to stop, and they have to actively work to ensure it stops. Thirdly, uh, the decline of the global output in terms of reasoning behind, you know, uh, this, this this whole um, uh, these all these narratives against immigration. Now, when we talk about the decline of global global output, let's be very very clear on something. Uh, the decline in global output or from global economics results from U.S. sanctions. Let's be very very clear on these are these are conscious, sanctions that are consciously consciously applied, even though they devastate the economy, not just the U.S. economy, but the global economy as well. They don't care because it's all about the pursuit of power, and the immigrants become a, 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 a useful tool in terms of <clears throat> in terms of you know, um, well, actually, what happens? They create a policy in which you have the proliferation of these so-called immigrants, in which the Western states can use to point to as endemic of the problems that the West face. When in reality, the, the West itself is responsible for the uh, for the for the for the immigration into the West. And also, when we talk about in terms of the decline of global output, we also got to talk about the decline of the global the dollar, the dollar as global reserve, global reserve. Uh, for a long time, uh, uh, it's been established. You know, when we talk about trade, that is often conducted, particularly when you talk about oil, it's conducted in dollars. And so this ability in terms of U.S., you know, to, to essentially uh, make the world subsidize the U.S. economy is coming to an end. And because the, the world is refusing to, to, to subsidize U.S. economy, it means that the economy is becoming weaker and weaker and weaker. And as a consequence of the economy becoming weaker and weaker and weaker, it doesn't change the reality that when we talk about the exploitation of the global south, that persists. And that because that exploitation persists, then you, then you can anticipate more and more immigrants coming to the United States or to the West, you know, out of, you know, out of desperation. But, again, this is all created by Western or U.S., you know, foreign policy. Now, but what is interesting about this all, Brother Africa, and I conclude with this, is that when we talk about the consequences of anti-immigration fervor, and we've got to be very, very clear you know, that there's a recent article in which they were talking about the fact that EU members, some EU members, want Ukrainians out of Europe because the perception is that they're spreading diseases. And I find that very, very ironic. When you talk about the role of propaganda, <clears throat> you got to understand just how powerful it really is. So this immigration narrative, once centered primarily around racism, is not extending to xenophobia. So we can, we can, we can, we can essentially say that when we talk about the, the movement, you know, uh, this narrative from or when we come to immigration from racism to xenophobia, then we certainly can say, you know, that, uh, you know, this narrative around immigration uh, not only has a negative impact in terms of, you know, how people are perceived, but, it's, but we have to understand fundamentally that it simply doesn't stop with in particular group. Eventually, it becomes all-encompassing. So the government conveniently used these people as scapegoats for the problems that uh, they created themselves. And so now we're talking about white people chastising or criticizing other white people and telling them that they need to leave their countries because they, quote-unquote, are introducing drugs into European society. I find that very, very extraordinary. But, again, it's, 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 it's something that uh, it can be expected. And this is one of the things when you talk about injustice generally, that you know it has a way in terms of expanding it doesn't decrease, injustice tends to expand, and now it's encompassing, you know, white people 
you know, out of the Ukraine. So for me, I find that very interesting, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Axie. You know, you know, sometimes they say the chicken does come home to the roots, you know. So we got to be careful what we do to others. Next, you bring Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Um, uh, let's see. The U.S. Uh, the U.S. media is proven uh, to be under Zionist control by the way they're portraying uh, the conflict going on between Zionism and uh, Palestinians. Uh, And uh, the coverage in the U.S. media is largely one-sided. And, um, you know, and uh, this doesn't uh, bode well for people that are trying to understand the truth and understand uh, the causes of the conflict. And, uh, you know, and the fact that, uh, you know, is uh, the media seems to be siding with the Zionists. And, um, you know, and, um, you know, uh, that, um, you know, that makes it uh, harder for people uh, to understand reality and get at the truth and get at the root of the problem. And and it makes the the case for warfare even worse than what it is. Also, uh, in terms of um, you know the uh, uh, the backlash against uh, immigrants is primarily directed uh, against people from the southern hemisphere from uh, Central South America and Africa. That's who the, uh, and uh, U.S. has historically had a racist immigration policy and uh, it still persists to this day. Uh, but the, uh, but uh, people aren't, aren't, aren't often taught that it is because of the policies of the capitalist countries, the ruthless exploitation that uh, that the countries of Africa, uh, Central and South America, and the Caribbean undergo is was fueling the immigration uh, because uh, uh, the immigrants not uh, understanding the cause of their problems. Uh, you know, seek um, uh, seek pastures where 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 they they think the grass is greener, and that is what's fueling uh, the immigration uh, to to the U.S. and other the capitalist countries, because uh, that's where uh, that's where people perceive the wealth lies. Thank you, brother Anthony. For brother Anthony, you now to bring your brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and the community? Well, the big news is uh, Hamas and uh, its agenda. Um, certainly, you know, we have to recognize that Jesus cursed the fig tree, and he was against the resurrection of the government, kingdom, or state of Israel. And so 
God is not mocked. You know, God is not mocked. Uh, and uh, and so, you know, we find that uh, um, President uh, Trump, who was a staunch ally of the ghetto building project called Israel, um, uh, he's being prosecuted and uh, and uh, hopefully he'll 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 feel the full brunt of the law, which he has ignored. Meanwhile, uh, we're gonna uh, put put a shout out to uh, Eleanor, who was missing in action tonight. Uh, Eleanor Johnson, uh, she's in the hospital at Sibley in Washington, D.C., and so I'm sure she would love to be here, but she can't. And so uh, those are the the highlights of my week. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And, of course, we'd like to send our love to our sister Eleanor, who is well, that she get well, and like always, we miss her, but we know she's a strong soldier. Hopefully she'll be back with us soon. We send our love to you. Right now, this is Africa on the Moon. We're discussing current events, what's going on in your world community, and we'll continue to do this when we come back from this quick station break. This is Africa on the Moon. Well, well, I 
make it for the punishment. Make it do more punishment. Make it land the punishment. Make it do more punishment. I read down for book you. I see some myself for you. Welly, welly you.
oppression, oppression, inflation, corruption, oppression, inflation. Them get That's right. They call inflation, corruption, confusion, death, destruction, you name it. To a panelist. Who are the international thieves? Brother Haki, who are the international thieves? in 2023 yeah well the, the, the international thieves are who they always been the, the imperialist order uh in terms of you know um the west and, and its uh faulty relationships you know with the so-called global south uh one of the things you know brother africa you know when we talk about in terms of you know international thieves one of the things that when you talk about systems uh you you, you got to give the west credit for innovating systems uh, which which are not only uh, deeply deceptive, but to actually to incorporate in such systems the, the idea that they have a genuine right to actually exploit other societies. I, I think that's extraordinary. You would think when you look at the history of the human beings and you look at all this, you know, all these constant all this constant fighting, you know, the constant death and the result uh, is often war. And you look at this this, this 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 history, and you would think that people would come to the conclusion. You know what? We see what happened in the past when this when we engage in this kind of criminal activity, uh, when we consistently steal. And so, therefore, if we are to attain any sense and semblance of peace, then we have to change the paradigm. But that's not happening. In fact, they're doubling down on the paradigm. And one of the sad realities is that when we talk about, you know, things like. Um, you know, global uh, global economic decline. Uh, when we talk about the proliferation of diseases around the world, uh, it's very very interesting. You know that uh, these th- these kind of things serve geopolitical interest. In other words, when we talk about global warming, the U.S. refusal in terms of, to endorse uh, initiatives that combats global warming. You know, in the global south, when they do that, they do so with the realization that by refusing to fund projects to prevent to minimize global warming, they realize that, as far as their interests are concerned, that with global warming comes destruction of millions and millions of people, not only in terms of famine, in terms of not having access to food, uh, but also just in terms of just in terms of in terms of ability, you know, to control their economy. And so, for the West, it's, it's a convenient uh, a tool to be used in terms of the exploitation and subordination, uh, you know, of the global South. And so all of this is all of this in, in, in my estimation, Brother Africa, is, is in fact, you know, um, uh, criminal activity. Uh, you know, these are these are thieves, and you can call it anything you want to call. In addition to this, and I close with this, Brother Africa, I think one of the things when you talk about the, the question in terms of reparations for the continent of Africa, in terms of the the, the, the systematic stealing for, for centuries from the continent of Africa without compensation, clearly. Uh, when you talk about the propensity to, to thie- uh, thievery, then it's pretty hard to make the case that this kind of centuries of exploitation and plunder was some kind of accident. That's a fluke of nation somehow that, you know, is, is, uh, is, 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 is one of those things uh, in terms of history which is uh, just, uh, just haphazardly happened, but it doesn't reflect in any real way uh, the, uh, the, the habits, you know, you know, of the West. But the bottom line is that, you know, when you talk about this kind of theory in terms of Western states, in terms of stealing Africa's resources, uh, clearly, Brother Africa, there's no question about it. When you talk about who's a real international thief, 
even even the Western states would would acknowledge. Uh, you know, even the United States, even Macron out of France would acknowledge. Uh, even uh, the woman out of Italy, I can't recall her name. Even they would acknowledge that the that the Western the Western states are in fact, you know, um, are, are international thieves. In fact, one of the things I do <laughs> admire about the woman out of Italy is the fact that she's constantly berating uh, uh, Macron. You know, for you know, stealing, you know, for the theory, you know, against you know, the so-called 14 African states and uh, so-called 14 Western African states in terms of relationship, you know, with those African states. So clearly, even Western Western leaders understand that, in fact, when we talk about international thieves, who we're talking about. So for 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 most people, I think that's a no-brainer. I'm not close with that. All right, thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Anthony, for your perspective in 2023. Who are the international thieves? Um, in, in my opinion, uh, it is uh, all the capitalist countries worldwide, uh, led by U.S. led by the U.S. Uh, those are the uh, uh, those are the real thieves, and uh, they are they exploiting they exploit the resources of the earth to serve the interests of um, of a relatively small section of their population, the bourgeoisie, and uh, this exploitation is causing um, uh, serious implications for the planet. And uh, that's why we have, uh, you know, problems with global uh, climate change and uh, food shortages and diseases rampant throughout the world because of uh, imperialist exploitation. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And your perspective, Brother Moses, who are the international thieves in the year 2023? Well, I think, you know, the power to define is the power to rule. And right now, I would say that um, Netanyahu is is got the world hypnotized uh, under his suggestions, and uh, everybody's uh, bowing to the king. Um, he has a green light to just do whatever he wants to do. Well, and, you know, we they but they've got billions of dollars coming in for the military. Uh, the U.S. Biden is giving them the green light. Uh, the European powers are giving them the green light. Uh, and you talk about criminals, I mean, I mean it's just power, just, just, uh, just reactionary, reactionary, bond dead capital basically um being finance capital the open tyranny of finance capital they financing the tyranny over these people and uh that that's that's criminal that's 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 inhumane that's um crimes against humanity that's everything all balled up in one right there um and uh we can't rest until till the injustices are are eliminated. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. 
All right, panelists, analysts, let's make our transition to tonight's program on the theme for the theme for tonight, the U.S. Front Yard, a relationship from slavery. You know, a lot of time when we think about Central and South America or Latin America, that some would call, would call it, you know, America will always talk about their backyard. But recently, I guess they have made an upscale, upscale um, as related to their yard. It's no longer their backyard, whereas Biden said it's their front yard now. And I think tonight is U.S. front yard, a relationship from slavery. There is a interesting video we would like to share with our listening audience on YouTube to check out, which is titled U.S. Ad Resources in Latin America Escalation Against China. Uh, we'd like to talk a little bit about that that particular um, documentary resource in the context of our theme tonight. And we'd like for you to join in by dialing 323-679-0841. Now, panelists, in terms of looking at that particular documentary, one of the things I took for this documentary that I would like each one of y'all to uh, elaborate on is this consequence, the consequence of having the U.S. Pentagon to have no budget to have no budget, as well as no accountability. How has that played a role in the issues and problems that you see today throughout Central and South America, from and Latin America, Brother Haki? Well, yeah, well, the, the, the issue of the Pentagon's budget is a very interesting one. Uh, one of the things is that the reality is that no one knows exactly what the Pentagon budget is. The problem is complicated by the fact that the Pentagon uh, not only legally doesn't have to disclose what the budget is, but it also has the blessing of the U.S. Congress to actually take funds from other uh, other agencies uh, to, to pay any type of budget deficit it may, it may encounter. So when we talk about an organization or institution that essentially, you know, has carte blanche uh, ability, uh, you know, to use massive wealth, you know, at its, expo- at its exposure, uh, at its, to do any and everything uh, that it wants to do, uh, then we got to understand that when you, when you couple that with the mission of, you know, of, of the Pentagon, which essentially is to work in conjunction with the State Department uh, to ensure uh, the subjugation of nations around the world, the Pentagon is simply the military arm in terms of making sure that uh, the, 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 the ability to use force is always assured because if you have a situation where Pentagon, because it has access to an unlimited budget, then it can always ensure military intervention anywhere in the world, anytime. And so in that context, one of the things we, we you know, which is, which is I think is unfortunate, is that when you talk about the fact that Congress okayed, you know, policies, which enable the Pentagon to essentially take money from other agencies to pad its budget. In other words, what it did was to ensure that the proliferation of war, uh, or so-called the so-called global war on terror, would in fact be fought indefinitely. And because we're talking about you know, the large expenditures of sums, even for the Pentagon, which has vast resources, 
the bottom line is that when you talk about the expenditure of these vast resources, it does have a detrimental impact on the overall function of the economy. In other words, you know, the, 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 the kind of expenditures you're talking about in terms of the kind of dollars that circulate throughout the world, you've got to understand that it does have a unique impact on the value of that dollar. In that regard, as the value of the dollar declines, so does the state of the U.S. economy. And so, therefore, even though on the surface it sounds like, you know, they're, they're awesome, they're powerful, and there's nothing that the Pentagon can do because they've got vast amount of wealth, the bottom line is that there's certain economic principles even the Pentagon has to abide by. But So when you talk about the situation in South, in, in South America, and you talk about the vast number of resources South America has access to and that the, the America and the United States wants, then certainly you can factor in the Pentagon in terms of its, its, its missions. You know, if a situation becomes critical, to step in and use military force in terms of taking those resources. And so in that context, we've got to understand that the, the, the Pentagon is a pervasive threat to, to, to countries around the world. And if we don't fundamentally understand that, understand that fact, then we, we fail to understand just what U.S. imperialism really is and what it's all about. So in that context, you know, uh, South America has to be on guard because the bottom line, they're very, very clear, you know, that they want those resources out of, out of Central and South America, and they've already demonstrated to in and everything in terms of getting what they want, and I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Brother Athens, on this particular documentary, USI's resources on Latin America, one report that came out from this documentary was the issue of the U.S. and the West is playing the narrative of viewing a new phenomenon of seeing the new Cold War is now again is against Russia and China. If this is the new Cold War that is taking place now between Russia and China, how does it impact other countries, and particularly other African countries in particular, in terms of this question of U.S.C. Russia and China as their primary competitors, the enemies, but at the same time, how does that relate to the impact of those countries that may have relationships or want to do business with Russia and China? And for example, we're looking at right now in Central Latin America, your analysis of that particular phenomenon, Brother Anthony. Yes. Um, well, uh, uh, as, uh, as a hedge against U.S. domination, uh, countries around the world are trying to diverse, diversify their economies, uh, and correctly so. Uh, you know, and uh, that's why uh, they're seeking relations with Russia and China. Because they want to diversify their uh, uh, their economies, they're tired of uh, the U.S. having a stranglehold over uh, over their economy, which is causing a lot of the problems they're having in the first place. And uh, they're trying to diversify their relationships. And trying to get uh, uh, you know goods and services from uh, from the, uh, from other sources, which they have the right to do, being the fact that they uh, they ostensibly threw off the the yoke of colonialism a long time ago. 
but uh, the U.S. Uh, you know, uh, you know, is invoking a 200-year a uh, do- uh, document, uh, the Monroe Doctrine, which was actually written by John Quincy Adams, uh, which is one of the things I learned from looking uh, from listening to this video, and uh, and uh, that uh, de- dates from uh, the days of uh, chattel slavery inside the U.S. So uh, this is um, uh, this is uh, uh, you know so there are some some forces on uh, you know. Uh, 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 on the right inside the U.S. are invoking this doctrine as a justification for U.S. policy towards uh, Central and South America, and uh, is and it's unjust and it's unfair, and uh, it only intensifies the exploitation of the resources of. Uh, Central South America and the Caribbean to serve U.S. interests. Because this was built after you mentioned the Monroe Document, which was created in 1823. You know, your Irish uh, so-called um, Westerners will always argue that we shouldn't go back in history. That was a long time ago. But yet, when it comes to their interests, they go back as far as they want to use it as a justification to do what they want to do today. Your response, mm-hmm. Uh Yes, and uh, and the thing about the, the, uh, the, the U.S. bourgeoisie is not, uh, uh, you know, uh, above invoking old policies or old documents to justify their continued exploitation of the world. And uh, and uh, and um, you know, uh, and after centuries of this exploitation, people around the world are getting tired of it, and that's why you see these uprisings taking place all over the world against imperialism. Thank you, Governor and Governor Moses. If you could respond to this notion that came from this documentary is that the U.S. and the West today, they have a policy, they have a principle, they have values in which they don't recognize other countries' independence, nor do they want them to have their own sovereignty or to be sovereign. Thanks to that attitude, Brother Moses. Well, the U.S. US has instituted in what, what we would call the Patron system, the Patron uh, and it's, you know he's um, he's the father, the head head master of of the of the plantation of the um, hacienda or whatever, and uh, and you know he rules the Godfather. He rules, and uh, you know that's what the U.S. has proposed. That you know this is this is. Um, uh, this is the U.S. turf, more or less, and this is the territory, their sphere, sphere of influence, and uh, you know, this is uh, what's going on. Uh, um, you know, the the 
the the the benevolent side of it seemed like they were trying to stop the the European colonizers from rape, pillage, and plundering in the the south uh, its backyard, uh, which is what the Monroe Doctrine called it. And uh, but that was just the, the left informed, but it's right in essence. It's, they want to be the sole monopoly of the of the area, and um, that's what the Monroe Doctrine is stating. I'll just leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And Brother Haki, you know, many people sit behind every one problem you'll find Americans, and this would seem to bear that out. I'd like for you to extrapolate a little bit on this issue of is it as a large copper reserve in countries like Chile and Peru, as well as lithium to be found in Bolivia. When countries had those type of resources, it seemed to automatic to put them at, eye, at odds with U.S. interests in terms of not allowing the people to control their own natural resources. So we can see at this point in time that those countries that has a large reserve of copper, lithium, those countries will now be viewed as the enemy to the U.S. if they don't capitulate to their demands as relates to they having full use of their resources. Your response to that philosophy and attitude, Brother Hakeem, how do we deal with that? Yeah, well, that is that is a quintessential definition of imperialism, Brother Africa. I mean, the whole point is that, listen, uh, you know, we dictate, the United States position is that we dictate how things should go. When it comes to economic matters, we're in total control in terms of dictating, you know, you know how our economy should be organized. If your economy is not organized to the extent that it benefits the United States, then it becomes an adversary, an enemy of the United States. And so when we talk about the Monroe Doctrine, I mean, that's clearly what it's all about. That was a realization that, listen, we, the United States controls South America and the Caribbean. We control all of that. And so we determine what goes on in those countries. Now, if you from other states around the world, if you come here and try you know, to do anything that, uh, that empowers you or, or benefits you financially or economically, then we see that as, a, as, a, as a, the, the quintessential threat to U.S. interest. And so, therefore, you know, we're simply not going to tolerate that, even if that means we have to go to war to prevent you from actually coming to our so-called sphere of influence, you know, being in particular the South America and the Caribbean states. Uh, so I think, uh, so, so I think, Brother Africa, I think this this kind of this kind of imperialist mindset, you know, I think when when, when you've been doing it for since 1823, and your position is that you know that you have the might, you have the power, uh, and more importantly, you have sufficient amount of propaganda uh, 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 propaganda in place to ensure, you know, the uh, to, to ensure that the issues uh, pertaining to uh, self-determination for other states are uh, cast in doubt. And so you have a situation where people simply don't realize in terms of when you talk about in terms of people inherent right to control their own economies. When you talk to most American people in terms of countries inherent right to control the resources, uh, it, it, it confounds and confuses a lot of American people. And that's no mistake. That's all by design. That's all function of propaganda. Uh, and so none of us are surprised in terms of when we talk about, you know, 
um, you know, uh, there's access for things like copper, liquefied natural gas, gold, zinc, and so forth, these very valuable minerals. And there's no question, when we talk about going into the future, uh, these kind of things are going to be extremely important in terms of, in terms of being able to innovate technology, uh, particularly copper. And, and as, as the, the, uh, the, uh, the report acknowledged, uh, many banks, major banks in the United States are very much aware that copper is, 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 a, is a new gas. In other words, uh, copper has become so indispensable in terms of use uh, to innovate technology that the United States feel it has to have that copper. So if states like Colombia, for example, or, or, or Peru, Colombia, or, or whatever Central American country that has copper refuses to give up that copper, you know, at a, at a very, very cheaply, then there's consequences to play. Ordinarily, what the U.S. does first in terms of process is normally, you know, meet with them to let them know that, listen, we want your copper, we want your, your liquefied natural gas, we want your gold, we want your zinc, and this is what we're going to pay, pay you for it, to just to get a response. If those leaders of the country say, well, listen, in order for you to obtain those minerals, then you've got to compensate us fairly. If they, come, if they make such a statement, the U.S. next position is to escalate, is to say, okay, well, you don't want to play ball? Well, the next thing we're going to do is going to undermine your economy. Well, if that doesn't work in terms of undermining the economy, in terms of fomenting coups or whatever, it's military action. And so clearly they have a, a they have a, they have a, 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 a matter of fact, Joseph Perkins' book, uh, uh, um, uh, something, um, what was the name of the book, Joseph Perkins' book? Essays of a Hitman. The Economic Hitman. Um, the economic Hitman. Yeah, the Hitman, yeah. yeah but, uh, economic something, Hitman. Something of an economic um, Hitman, right. Jo- yeah. yeah. But in his book, you know, he talked about the process in terms of the employee, in terms of, you know, taking people's resources. Uh, so all of this gangsterism, you know, that's very much part of U.S. foreign policy, is to be expected. So when we talk about got to have these resources, that's precisely what they mean. So when you talk about the, 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 the value of copper into the future, you know, sky's the limit. When you talk about that kind of wealth, these capitalists want that wealth. And here's the problem, Brother Africa. When they go around and, and, and exploit the world, keep in mind that the beneficiaries of that exploitation is the capitalist class. It doesn't accumulate you to the masses of the people in the United States. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that even if it did accumulate to the masses of the people, that the exploitation is right or legit. I'm simply saying that just just in terms of just how greedy and how vile and how corrupt these, these people are, uh, they would do this and they tell the American people, listen, we would we, 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 we expect you to sacrifice your life if need be in, in pursuit of these riches, but you don't, should not expect to partake in any of those riches. And so clearly, uh, Brother Africa, so, so, you know, one of the things that we certainly can expect in, in terms of, you know, when we talk about these kind of things being essential in terms of technology in the future, then we can anticipate the United States would definitely see these countries as adversaries, and if they don't give up, give it up very cheaply, then there's a price to be paid for these countries. So these countries got to collectively understand what the reality is, and they have to band together to fight back, because if they don't band together to fight back, the United States, what it traditionally, traditionally does is to pick them off one at a, one at a time. And so clearly, Brother Africa, I, I think that no one should be surprised, you know, that uh, they're coming for these for these minerals because they're important to not only in terms of te- future technology, but also because they're very profitable. And I'll close with that. Thank you, Brother Hackey. You know, Brother Anthony, one of the things I thought was interesting that came from this documentary 
as well. Whereas a lot of times when one look at the various institutions that are created and function under this capitalist society, most of the masses of people have no idea in terms of what they do and what is their role. But he talked about the role of the Pentagon. And he said the Pentagon basically has two major functions in relationship to maintaining and having control over trade routes and natural resources. I find that really interesting as those being the major functions of the role of, of, of the Pentagon. Speak to this question of the importance of one, if one controls trade routes, two, if one can dominate natural resources, what that, what does that do to a to a nation, to a people, to a world? Isn't that what's going on right now? The U.S. Raisin, is fighting for hegemony to control all of the trade routes and major resources at the expense of the rest of the world. Was that answering your response? Yes. Um, uh, this uh, this uh, uh, you know uh, puts uh, a lot to the fact that the Pentagon is for defensive purposes. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, control of trade routes and, uh, you know, a country's resources, uh, that's, um, uh, 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 that's not defense. That's, a, a, uh, you know, direct exploitation of, uh, of, 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 of the countries of Central and South America and the Caribbean. And uh, it's and it's intensifying, and um, and as a matter of fact, um, Haiti is an example of that. Uh, Haiti has been exploited uh, by the U.S. Uh, since um, you know uh, the Haitians had had successfully uh, you know got its independence from. Um, uh, from uh, uh, France, but uh, but it had to deal with a new force, the U.S. And the U.S., uh, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, took control of uh, Haiti's resources through exploitation and control of trade routes. As a matter of fact, uh, Haiti. Uh, had to make compromises because it could not uh, uh, trade, uh, you know, what's good with other countries of the world because of the isolation it suffered under France and the U.S. and uh, uh, other imperialist forces of the world. So uh, this... Um, you know, this imperialist exploitation has a very long history. And uh, it's been going on for a couple of centuries now. And, um, you know, and uh, countries are starting to realize that they have to unite in order to be able to defeat imperialism. And that's why you see countries coming together to share their uh, limited resources 
with each other and to um, and to make uh, improved trade relations with um, uh, you know with one another. And uh, you know, and uh, this uh, this uh, you know uh, puts uh, uh, you know shows that the Pentagon is uh, is the armed wing of the bourgeoisie in the U.S. Because all their their primary interest is ensuring that uh, that the bourgeoisie maintains control over uh, the Western Hemisphere's resources. You know, Brother Moses, I think when you look at the relationship of the U.S. to Central and Latin America, you're really looking at a master-slave relationship because historically, the U.S. has built its economy. Capitalism has developed evolved over the whole issue of being able to control, manipulate, and own other people's resources. They evolved to the point now that they no longer can resist rob them. So this question of dependency is more like the U.S. need and must have the resources of those countries in Central and Latin America just so it can survive and exist, not the other way around. Do you somewhat agree with that, that assessment, Brother Moses? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the exploitation of the countries in South America, you know, by the U.S. is, is uh, deplorable. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Uh, uh, it's been going on, as, as Brother Anthony said, for centuries, and, you know, it's, it's not going to stop without the unity of the the third world and uh, people of color fighting back. Uh, and the brick and and all that is, is, is a step in the right direction. Um, I'm not sure if I'm getting to the heart of you. What was your question again? No, I, I was just wondering, I'm looking at the relationship between the U.S. economy and history and the history that uh, of Central, South, and Latin America. Is that right. a slave, like a slave, slave to slave on the relationship? Yes, there is yeah. foundation on the whole need to 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 continue to exploit the resources of these Central and Latin American countries, and this is what we're dealing with: is that this society, this country, capitalism, must have these resources now because they build the whole foundation based upon that. I just want you to right. speak a little bit to that. That's all. The less the less we're able to exploit the world, the more we experience this. Uh, so-called inflation because the dollar is, is getting worth less and less. And um, the uh, people of the world are not going to just keep, keep allowing us, the U.S. to exploit them. And that's just so, you know, the um, the government of the U.S. is, um, is, is bound to end at some point. Uh, and uh, a new government that that's, doesn't have the feathers on the economy that the U.S. government has on the economy. Uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. And, and Brother um, Haki, 
we come back to you in reference to when we talk about the relationship, political and economic relationship between the North versus the South countries and the East versus the West. If you look at U.S. and Latin America, one of the traps they have done to many of these countries, not only in Latin America but throughout the world, is that they force these countries into or these governments into accepting loans where it trapped them into huge debts, then forced them to give up large sums of natural resources and other important uh, economic um, tools that the country needs for self-development. So just talk about this question, how do they go about entrapping these countries and make them become indebted for seem like forever? Brother Haki. They, 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 employ, they employ numerous ways in terms of debt trapping, uh, uh, you know, uh, countries. Uh, what is interesting about debt traps is one of the things is that, you know, if you have control over others' economies uh, and you control the, the exchange rates, when you control the amount of money actually entering and leaving that country, uh, when you control the value of trade, when you control all those factors, it's very easy, easy to control the overall state of the economy, and that's precisely what's going on. And so, and so in that regard, when we talk about, you know, countries being legitimately autonomous, the bottom line is they're not legitimately autonomous. Uh, they're up a whole in the United States, and the United States is able to create a system along with other Western states uh, to essentially trap their economies. Uh, and often, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about, in, certainly in, in the context of, of Africa, we talk about structural adjustment pro, uh, programs. They employ similar kind of programs in Central America. In other words, you have a situation where by virtue of how the economy, how the U.S. manipulates the economy, when the economy declines, the United States position is that, well, the decline of the economy, you know, it's going to interfere with our ability in terms of doing business. It's going to interfere with our marketability. So in order for us to increase that in our profitability in terms of trade, what we need you to do, we need you to cut these social services and invest more in terms of these, these agricultural pursuits or invest more in these mining operations, or whatever it takes in terms of making sure that the profits are, are, are increased, are greatly increased to the benefits of, of the Western states, in particular the United States. So this kind of debt trap, I think, is very interesting because one of the things the United States historically has done, certainly within the, in context over the last, last eight years, has to conveniently blame China for debt trapping societies. But when you stop and think about it, China's economic relationship with countries is 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 uh is is based upon you know a a a a a a a a a a a a a level of reciprocity. In other words, we're going to conduct trade, so I'm not going to try to take advantage of you. You're not going to try to take advantage of me. We're going to try to meet equilibrium, where you benefit and I benefit, which is where trade is supposed to be. When you contrast with the United States, when you talk about in terms of trade, in terms particularly in terms of Pricing commodities or exporting those commodities. When you talk about the the, the gulf of difference in between how business is done, there's a great difference between the way the United States and China does it. In the United States, the position is that in order to pr- produce those commodities or to ship those commodities, it's going to take a, a tremendous amount of the of, of global South e- economics output in order to accommodate those kind of things like producing and shipping those those commodities. When you deal with China, China position is that listen. When we when we when we produce and ship these commodities, we can make sure that it's not what with agreement whatever we agree upon, it's not going to be overbearing. So in other words, you're going to make money in terms of providing you know your your, your commodities. 
uh, I'm going to make money in terms of you know uh, receiving those commodities in terms of in terms of you know export pri- export prices or import prices. And so it was sort of a happy medium. And so people realized that when dealing with China, they're not being exp- – when you contrast that with America in terms of America's de- business dealings, uh, not just in terms of how they literally – how they control your economy and how they control your economy, how they're structured, but just in terms of just to do business in terms of America, people realize that the exploitation is tremendous. And it's causing all of these social problems that you're seeing. When you talk about people on the streets, people don't have access to, to, to shelter. People have access to education. Uh, people fleeing, coming to the United States, you know, out of hope. All of this is a direct result of U.S. economic policy, and which, which the State Department refers to as U.S. foreign policy. And the reason why I call it foreign policy is because, it, because the whole idea is to ensure U.S. policy works as a whole. We have State Department, intelligence, uh, uh, financial departments working in concert to ensure the exploitation of other countries around the world. And so, so when we talk about structural adjustment programs, that is a big problem. And until, and to the extent that countries participate in structural adjustment programs, uh, they're willing to actually allow the U.S. to export their economies. But it's, it's a very difficult situation because the bottom line is that when we talk about investments, when these countries and borrow a lot of U.S. dollars, you know, in terms of paying their debt off, uh, the interest rates are so exorbitant, are so high. Uh, that in order for them to pay it off, they have to, in order to accommodate the United States, they have to sacrifice, you know, their overall earnings. In other words, uh, so when you buy that money, it's like buying money from a bank. And if the, the loan officer tell you, okay, we give you a loan for, you know, $20,000, but you're going to pay us back at an interest rate of 35%. Now, of course, when you, when you stop and think about it, uh, you know, when that kind of exorbitant interest rate, then there's no way it's possible for you to pay that. So the only way you can accommodate that loan officer, the only way you can accommodate that loan officer or the United States in a particular case is to give them your resources to things that you own at a much cheaper rate to compensate for your inability in terms of uh, paying back an exorbitant loan, you know, with these high interest rates. So these are all part of structural justice programs. This is what they do. And this is why you have to have, one, countries working in concert in terms of combating that. And secondly, they have to stand up and confront the United States because there's no getting around that. Because the bottom line is structural, and and so for as far as the U.S. concerned, it's all legal and above board. Uh, the exploitation of their practice is legit, and that's the norm. And so therefore, they're not going to arbitrarily do what is right. They're going to cons- insist that that relationship remains. So unless you're willing to stand up and, com- and and confront the United States around this collectively, then the bottom line is that you really have le- a, a less of a hope in terms of resolving that that situation where you're ruthlessly exploited by countries like the, the United States and the West generally. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki. Father Brother Haki will bring Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, in response to the game that's been played in Latin America and throughout the world as well, is that they want to monopolize the country's natural resources. But more importantly, they make sure they put in a position where they keep them either from industrializing or de-industrializing their economy. For example, it was interesting they gave an example in this documentary how Brazil and Mexico at one time had the capacity to develop and create their own airplanes, and then they had de-industrialized them. Can you speak to the issue of the importance of countries being able to be 
industrialized and then they produce their own product in you know, within their own geographical borders. Brother Anthony. Um uh that is uh that is critical and as a matter of fact, um uh it's essential for gaining genuine political independence. And that is why uh that is why Nkrumah pushed so hard for Pan Africanism throughout his political career. He uh he realized that Africa uh in its divided state would uh would not uh have the uh the resources all by themselves, these fifty four uh entities uh that uh Africa was divided in, uh into would not be able to have the strength uh to develop their res uh the resources adequately unless they united. And that is why he put such a heavy emphasis on political unification. And, uh, and um, you know, the same thing, a similar sub, uh, is going on in Central and South America. They realize that they have to unite in order to, in order to defeat uh, the imperialist forces. And that is what, uh, and that is what's driving, uh, you know, uh, countries to cooperate with each other, to share their limited resources, and what have you, uh, because uh, you know, uh, because um, uh, you know, the imperialist countries have so much economic and, and political power, backed by the military primarily. That uh, that individual countries cannot stand up to it, and that is wh- and that is why a lot of countries in Central and South America are so weak to this day, because they do not have the ability to exercise true uh, sovereignty or control over their own resources. Thank you, Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony goes just speaking on when we talk about industrialization, industrialization of the country. They also make the country dependency on their resources in terms of going to countries to make them um, uh, get rid of resources that they can produce from within. For example, this whole question of markets. If you look at Haiti, they say Haiti used to have a capacity to create and develop their own rights to feed themselves. And the U.S. intentionally undermined and destroyed their market, and then got them dependent on rights that's coming from the outside, from the U.S. Right. Uh, I, 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 thought, I thought that was a good example. And, uh, and uh, capitalist countries are, uh, have uh, done that in other areas of the world, particularly in Africa. In other, in other words, they, um, they, uh, they uh, uh, through marketing, they undercut the prices that, uh, that Africans charge for their goods so that they, uh, they end up having to, uh, to import everything. 
and uh, and uh, that uh, lessens a country's self-sufficiency, and uh, and that's why uh, you know Africa is uh, is an importer of uh, manufactured goods, and uh, they and it and it ends up to be um, a market for raw materials only. But the disadvantage of that is that it makes a country dependent upon others for what what it could produce itself if it had the infrastructure and resources. Thank you, Brother Anthony. And Brother Moses, you know, if you talk about the U.S. foreign policy and its military might, we realize that when you look at this question of a budget, the U.S. spend 12 times more money in the military arena than any other country in the area of spending for military equipment. Now, they spend that much amount of money. It seems to me the only industry that's going to guarantee the big money are the war machine mongers. Your response, Brother Moses? The war machine is um, the military-industrial complex trying to expand and expand and expand, and uh, the people who are employed in it must, you know, have a lifestyle that is based upon, you know, their employment and and they're with the military-industrial war machine, and so, you know, it's 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 a uh, entrapped situation to be in uh, because you're dependent upon killing people killing each other uh, in order in order to support your lifestyle and, and your livelihood uh, um, I I don't know uh, I don't know Lockheed Boeing and all these grooming Northrop, uh, all you know. There's a lot of companies that are in these corporations that um, supply the military with their needs, and uh, and they and you know they lobby Congress, lobby the Congress for, and uh, it's just you know we need we need grassroots um, revolutionaries to get in control of the government, and that. Uh, how to do that is is the real issue, and uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. Okay, we'd like to invite you back and sorry for this delay. We have some technical issues on our board, but we're back now, and we will address this question now to Brother Hakeem. Brother Hakeem, one of the things that I thought real interesting from this article or from this documentary was to talk about U.S. And its role of de-industrializing Europe, as well as the role of finance capitalism, which they state that is through finance capitalism is now dictating to the state instead of the state dictating to the financial capitalists. So I wanted to respond a little bit to the, you know, the importance of this question, U.S. and their role of de-industrializing Europe, because we said when you talk about capitalism. It's a dog-eat-dog world. 
and you really don't have no 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 permanent friends or any permanent interest. So your response is this whole question of you US and how they position Europe where they are becoming less industrialized. At the same time it's a question of how those who control finance capital can dictate to the state versus the other way around the state dictating to those that are financial. Your response, Brother Haki. You know, Brother Africa, you know, uh, you know, you know, capitalism is such a crazy, it's such a crazy system. Uh, you know, you know, I know the capitalists are quite happy that most people don't understand how the system works. Because if most people really understood the insanity of the system, then you would have revolution overnight. Uh, you're certainly right, Brother Africa. You know, when we talk about fin- financialization of capitalism, you know, all we're saying is that the role of money trumps all other concerns. In other words, in order to become rich now, you don't have to produce anything. All you need is capital. If you got capital, they create, the system creates a, 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 a incentive uh, for the system itself to actually uh, reward capital. So by investments, you can make tons and tons of money and not create anything. So when you talk about the question in terms of deindustrialization, understand that you don't have to create anything. It's, that's, that's, that's not important anymore. It's about making that money, and that money is made by financialization, financialization of the economy. In other words, investments. That's how you make, that's how you make your profit. And this is crazy because when you talk about deindustrialization, and one of the problems is that when you talk about deindustrialization, essentially what you're talking about is you don't need employees. You don't need them. You don't need workers. You don't need labor. Uh, you know, uh, when it comes in terms of things like you know education, improving education, you don't have to improve education because you need a a, a very small number of of, of, of capable individuals who who are you know um, um, who are uh, trained you know uh, in the STEM area of you know, of enterprise. I'm talking about science, technology, engineering, mathematics. So you need a relatively small number of those kind of professionals, you know, in terms of keeping the system afloat. Uh, so the question of deindustrialization, so it can't be divorced from the fact that when we talk about wholesale poverty, suffering, uh, disillusionment, and you know, the frustrations, uh, you know, that exist in society, all of, this is, all of this is indicative of the fact that you're talking about, you know, a deindustrialization of society. And, and here's the thing. You know, when we talk about the question in terms of global warming, I mean, that's clear, okay? But deindustrialization doesn't mean that you can't address. doesn't mean that that's the only way you can deal with the question in terms of global warming. There are lots of technologies that exist that will minimize global warming, but the problem is that if you were to innovate these technologies, it would cost money. The capitalist position is that in order to maintain profit, which is the pinnacle of, you know, what life is all about, uh, if anything, to the extent that anything violates or reduces your opportunity of making profitability, such a, such a measure has to be automatically rejected. So to go back to your question, Mother Africa, you know, uh, you know, when, you know, when we talk about the financialization, you know, of the uh, of you know uh, of the system, we we got to understand that you know capitalism has gone through you know um, various stages to get to the point where we are currently. Because prior to you had monopoly finance capitalism. In other words, you know, uh, you know, uh, monopolies became the norm. And, and one of the ironies is that when you have a constitution that's supposedly diametrically opposed to, to to monopolies, you had in the 80s and the 90s a concentration of monopolies, and all this was done with the blessing of the of the judicial system, in particular the Supreme Courts. 
And so when you think about this, and so clearly there was always a plan in place to, to ingratiate uh, or to ensure that a small group of people in society, the capitalists, become you know, vastly wealthy. It was, all part of, it was all part of a plan. And because we were so um, innovative, not, we were so um, mesmerized, you know, uh, you know, by what we thought was, you know, a new era, we stood by and we allowed these people to monopolize, and with very few people other than Ralph Nader even said anything about in terms of real dangers in terms of monopolizing, uh, monopoli- monopolization, you know, in, in American society. Very few people said anything at all. And so that leads us to financialization. So now you don't, you don't need monopolies because the monopolies are already in place. Now the monopolies can use that cash to do whatever they want to do. They can use investments to make trillions and trillions of dollars. It's expensive society. And so we have a society with systematically increasing number of people becoming homeless, uh, people without jobs, uh, quality of education is in decline. But you understand that there's a trade-off. In order for you to, to, to reap, reap large profits in terms of, you know, uh, your investments, then there got to be X number of people who are impoverished, who are suffering, who don't have jobs, who don't who quality of education suffers. So there's a trade-off. And I think at some point the people in America have to begin to understand that that trade-off is simply too high, that we got to, we got to understand that, listen, we have to advocate. We don't have any choice at this point in history. We have to advocate, you know, an end to financial capitalization. Uh, and, of course, like I, you know, and, and let's be clear on this point. When we talk about advocating an end of financial capitalization, keep in mind, these people who benefit, the small percentage of people who benefit from the system are not going to set their alibi and allow you to change the system. They got the police. They got the intelligence community. They got all these people, you know, uh, uh, running interference for them. And so, therefore, they're, 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 they're protected. And so if we as a people are not vastly organized and if we understand the sacrifices we're paying in order to bring about an end to financial capitalism, the bottom line, with, by failing to, 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 to make that connection between our living standards and what's happening to us in society versus the wealth that's accrued to a small percentage of people, if we don't make that connection, then what's going to happen, we're going to, essentially we're going to keep playing ball, which means that you know, financial capitalism is as high as it's going to get. Oh, that's the highest stage of capitalism. Financial capitalism is as high as it goes. The next step after financial capitalism, and as it begins to decline, the next step is mass incarceration of people in terms of you know, dwelling, you know, um, dissent. You got to find some means in terms of controlling or controlling dissent or wiping dissent out. That's the only option for you, because it's, it's clear. So, so when people say that financial capitalism is the last state of capitalism, that's precisely what it is. That's as high as you can go. The few people control everything and have all the money, all the wealth. That's it. That's it. From here, it all goes down. It's all downhill. It all goes down. So the only response from the state is that they got to put more brutal, more repressive, in terms of police actions, in terms of intelligence spying, in terms of mass incarceration of people. It has no other recourse but to do that. And as African people, we got to fundamentally understand when we talk about mass incarceration of people, when we talk about historically who's presented as a, 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 the authentic threat, we have to fundamentally understand that there is no question about it that African people are perceived as an authentic threat to capitalism, and in part because we've always advocated, listen, we, you need to have a system which is, works for everybody, a system which is fair, a system which ensures the, the, the proliferation of, of funds flowing through the system 
because not only is the preparation of funds through the system good, you know, for, for the people, but it's good for the economy. And so people we have always advocated this in, 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 in that context. We also talk in important terms of a humane society. And, of course, when we talk about the decline of capitalism, one of the things that you don't want anybody to advocate for a humane society, anyone who advocates for a, in a humane society is a, it becomes, a, uh, becomes, a, becomes a threat to the status that be because you're waking people to the reality that there's a different way in terms of doing things. And for the system in decay, you can't, they, they cannot afford to allow that to happen. So we become carte blanche, the, 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 the focus of those people in positions of power to ensure, you know, that, you know, our visibility is limited and that people don't get the message, you know, that uh, financial capitalism is not in the interest of humanity. But again, Brother Africa, that's a long struggle, and I close with that. Well, Haki, listen to what you have just stated. Are you telling us that the reason why they have decided to, the U.S. has decided to, in most Western countries, they have decided to militarize their local law enforcement in the inner cities? Right, right. They they don't have a choice. They they don't have a choice. If financial, listen, if financial capitalism is the high stage of capitalism, and as I said before, at this point, it declines. Because one of the things that when you have a few people with tremendous amount access to large amounts of money, those people don't, those people invest that money. They don't spread it throughout the system. They invest the money to make to create more wealth for themselves. In the process, it starves the general economy of the resources it needs in terms of expanding. It, country, the system can't expand without money flowing through the system. But here's the irony. Under capitalism, you know, the focus is not on the system. It's not on the needs of the people or the needs of the state. It's on the need and the interest of the small, small number of people that exist in society. We're talking about essentially, we're talking about one, five-tenths of one percent of the population who determines the fate of an entire society. That is crazy. Uh, and so and so when you got that kind of, so, so as a result of that, the kind of disparities that are created in terms of wealth in terms of living, uh, in terms of living or survival, uh, becomes just so diverse, just so, just so, uh, uh, just so, so, so wide, you know that even the, the average person begins to realize that something fundamentally skewed here. Well, with the realization that something is skewed, that something fundamentally wrong in terms of the way the system allocates wealth, uh, people get to the point where, listen, they not only lose hope, but the only solution many people will conclude is that, listen. I got nothing to lose. Since I got nothing to lose, I'm going to fight. Well, you got to make sure that before people get to the point where they start thinking, I got to fight, you want to terrorize them. You want them to get into thinking that, listen, fighting is frugal. You can't, you can't win, so you might as well just capitulate, give in to whatever they're doing to you, take it with a smile, and die early. Well, you know, so, but the thing is that they also recognize that not everybody's going to take it with a smile and die early. Some people are going to fight back. So you have a police apparatus which has no other recourse but to come down hard on people, in particular African community. And make no mistake about it, when we talk about investments from the federal government for the purpose to the most invest weaponry, and we talk about the systematic killing of African people for all kinds of reasons, and then when they commit those crimes just based upon all kinds of frivolous reasoning and protected by the state, they understand that what they're saying to the masses of African people, what they're saying to poor people, what they're saying to us is that, listen, you know, 
your life means nothing compared to the to the to the to the, to the rights of the capitalist class in terms of their desire to achieve as much wealth as they possibly can before this country before the country collapses. That is un- we have to understand that we have to understand that. And this lavish effort in terms of maintaining longevity in terms of the capitalist system resides with police officers. And so when they go around and brutalizing and killing people, they're sending a message. It's no fluke. It's no accident. It's all by design. And this is what we've got to fundamentally understand. And so, so this connection between police brutality and how the system operates, we have to fundamentally understand that why, why, why that exists. And more importantly, we have to understand that each and every one of us potentially could be killed by a cop, not because we're doing anything criminal or we're doing anything wrong, but because some cop decides that, listen, you know, I don't like, I don't like the way you look. You know, I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the music you're listening to. You know, uh, you know, I don't like the way your hairstyle or whatever, whatever frivolous reason they may come up with killing people. We had to understand yeah, that, do, that implicit threat. Okay, uh, brother, I'll close with that. Thank you. No, I just said, brother, are you equating that same kind of behavior that is taking place currently in Central and South and Latin America in terms of these military right-wing military um, uh, regimes? Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. These 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 right wing fanatics are propped up by countries like the United States, and the reason why they are propped up not only to protect of the Western or particularly the United States interests in terms of in terms of you know ensuring they get resources very very cheaply, but also they create conditions in which they're going to terrorize the mass of the people who are confronted with abject poverty, and then let them know that listen. Despite the abject poverty, despite the lack of schooling, despite, despite all of these things that you need as a human being, if you dare try to even if, if you dare try to articulate the human need, then you 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 represent an existential threat, uh, you know, to the Western world order. In that context, you know, these right wing groups are ready to kill you. It's the same strategy. It is the same strategy, and so we have to fundamentally understand, you know, that when we talk about this question in terms of war, we talk about the rich against everybody else, that's precisely what it is. When this guy out of Australia says that, listen, based, based upon his logic, that the, that the masses of people are making too much money, in other words, so when he says that, you know, uh, making uh, $5 an hour in Central South America or seven twenty-five an hour in America is too much money, when he says such a thing, he's saying literally that the lives of people do not matter. And in fact, only thing that matters is the, 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 the ability of wealthy people to get more more wealth. That's all that matters. And to the extent that people jeopardize, undermine the the wealth's interest in terms of getting more money, they become an existential threat and they got to be dealt with. That is the role of these right wing groups in Central and South America. That's precisely what they do. This is why they go around killing people. This is one of the poorest people on some of the poorest people on the planet. They go around killing them because they serve the interests of the West. The West gives them a few crumbs to go around killing their people. They do so because of ignorance, self-hatred, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and sometimes, to be fair, uh, they're caught up in a situation in which they're trying to provide their family, and they got no other choice. Well, they do have a choice. They can simply say, I'm not going to do it. But, of course, that's me. But for a lot of people, they were, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill, I'm gonna kill, kill, kill. A lot of I have a job to take care of my family, and I don't care about the kind of the, the ramifications of what I do. Uh, but I think, fortunately, I think that kind of mentality is gradually uh, uh, decaying. I think increasingly more and more people are beginning to realize 
you know, that, uh, you know, you can no longer, we can no longer afford to be uh, puppets, you know, you know, for the, for the powers that be or for the wealthy, that we have to stand up and proclaim our humanity at all costs. I think that that sentiment is, is growing throughout the world, and I think it's, it, it, it represents a constant, an existential threat uh, uh, to capitalism, to finance capitalism uh, as a whole. And I close that, Brother Africa. Well, you know, Brother Aki, on that note, we're going to take a revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we're going to close our program out on, the, on this issue of what would they would not do. And we're going to do that with a discussion on a piece that was recently written by Global Research titled, Not Yahoo, False Flag is a Copy and Paste, Pentagon Secret Operation, Norwood, 1962, directed against Cuba. Casualty lists will cause a half a wave of indignation. We're going to talk about that as we relates to our topic, U.S. Front Yard, a relationship from slavery. We'll be right back. This is Brother Africa from Africa on the Move. Coming home soon 
With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's eyes With a soldier's Oh, 
was a rich man gain. They get paid while we be played. Don't fall for the hype. We welcome you back to After the Moon. We're going to close out that theme today. U.S. Front Yard, a relationship from slavery. Um, that was an interesting article recently written from Global Research. And it talks about the recent confrontation that's going on in Palestine uh, against the Palestinian and the Zionist forces. And it pause, gives something to pause about. And it raised the question of Matthew's false flag is a copy and paste the Pentagon's secret operation, Northwoods. 1962, directed against Cuba, casualty list will cause a way of indignation. The Melwood 1962 document was titled Justification for U.S. Military Intervention in Cuba. Now, it talks about whether or not we're just recently has taken place in Palestine will be another act of what the U.S. tried to do in 62 to give them justification to attack Cuba. But in this case, it would give the Zionist State of Israel the justification to annihilate a group of people to Palestinians. Panelists, when you read this article and little research raised that that scenario and possibility. I want to give your thoughts, your opinion on do you think that's a possibility of overhand being played from this playbook that was written back in nineteen sixty two by the US State Department called Norwood Operation Norwood. Live with you, brother Anthony. Um, yes, that that uh, that is a there's a possibility that uh, uh, that uh, Netanyahu is using uh, the uh, the uh, uh, the incident uh, waged by Hamas as um, as um, you know a flag. Uh, to uh, to rally Zionists against the Palestinians, um, and the reason I said that is uh, imperialists have uh, resorted to this method before, in which they would sacrifice a portion of their own population in order in, in, in order to achieve a war objective and or in order to create the climate in which uh, uh, people would be clamoring for an attack against their enemy. And, uh, and uh, this has been uh, uh, the, the, the instances in which this took place in Europe and uh and and the US as a matter of fact um the US back in 1898 had used uh, the attack on the uh, uh, on the warship the main 
in order to to, uh, to justify his intervention in the Spanish-Cuban War. Uh, and, and that's how I got involved in the Cuban uh, in the Cuban struggle for independence. And uh, as a result, um, they got uh, they got uh, they got three colonies out of that. Uh, they uh, they new colonized Cuba. And they got uh, uh, control of Puerto Rico and the Philippines as a result of that. So, um, you know, there is a, a history behind this, uh, this strategy. Thank you, Brother S. Thank you, Brother S. Brother Hachi. Could it be a page that is playing out? in the so-called Middle East, what's going on in Palestine. And before you answer the question, Brother Haki, can you maybe, in my mistake, give our listening audience a general overview of what was the secret Operation Norwood in 1962 was all about, Brother Haki? Sure, sure, uh, yes. Uh, Operation Northwood was a, a, a false flag event uh, created by the, the uh, military leaders of the United States. Uh, when I say false, false flag, it was a propaganda venture, and it was designed to deceive the mass of the people, not only in the United States, but throughout the world, that in fact that Cuba was a heinous or a terroristic uh, a country justifying military invasion of, uh, of Cuba. Uh, now, I want people to be mindful. When we talk about these kind of strategies, they're important to trick people. These strategies are, my, are very, they continue to be very, very um, effective in terms of deceiving and tricking people. And it's unfortunate. Uh, but as long as they are effective in terms of tricking people, then they continue to employ these kind of strategies. Because if we think about the history of false flag attacks, one of the things, a couple of things is very important. Number one, and just in terms of examples of false flag attacks or these propaganda that was falsely created by the U.S., one was the Gulf of Tonkin. In Vietnam, back I believe back back in '68, I believe it was, uh, in which um, they alleged that the North Vietnamese attack American ship was was a lie. It was all geared toward ensuring that the Congress continued to fund the war effort, you know, there in uh, North Vietnam. And also, of course, one that everybody knows about is the World Trade Center, 9/11. I'm not going to go into all the details in terms of how they how they faked that one. I think most people at this point already figured out, you know, uh, you know, do research, you know, that uh, 9/11. Uh, was definitely inside job. That wasn't something that some quote unquote some terrorist did. That in fact this was this was an inside operation, and the, the information is overwhelming in terms of the inside information, uh, inside uh, inside uh, op, um, participation in terms of carrying this out. But I'm not going to do that because we went through that many many times before. So if anybody wants to know more about that, go online. There's tons of information in terms of indicating how uh, the um, World Trade Center was pulled off by the United States government. In the Israel, in the Israeli government. Uh, now, in terms of, you know, is it the question is is it possible that Israel played providing his own uh, North, Operation Northwood? Absolutely, brother Africa. Absolutely. Uh, when we talk about propaganda, uh, you talk about disinformation. Uh, Israel is quite quite well adapted in terms of the art of dishonesty. They're very 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 good at that. Uh, one of the things is that when, the reason why I suspect that this in fact this was a a, a, a Operation Northwood kind of uh, project, because when you think about the physical layout of, 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 of Israel, 
In terms of carrying out arms resistance, it's a very difficult thing to achieve, not impossible, but extremely difficult for numerous reasons. One, when you talk about the, 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 the level of surveillance and monitor the population in Palestine, keep in mind that Palestinian people are not free to move. They is, they're always under surveillance. They're restricted to certain parts of the country. So, so there's question in terms of the Hamas just some just just walked into Israel and, and assassinated some folks, and uh, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Just in terms of the surveillance of, of Israel State and in terms of the level of apartheid that they practice in Israel in terms of monitoring the population, it's extremely impossible for anybody to go for anybody of Hamas to get into to 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 to, to Israel and actually carry out those killings. That makes no sense to me. Secondly, uh, also keep in mind, like I alluded to earlier, all the posts are, are, are secured by Israeli Defense Forces. They check their bags, they check their person, they check everything. So no one is free to move. Move all moving is, is is monitored. Nobody's free to move anywhere. And so if you so so for so for Hamas to freely move and to come into Israel like that, highly unlikely. It, it, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. So clearly, I, I was thinking about. So this is not right. This is all BS. And then the mere fact that the um, the, the newspapers have been um, parroting the line that somehow that Hamas is a terrorist and Israel is is somehow the the the, the, the victim here, I I just like this is just so ridiculous. You know, I'm just like you know what, it's it's, it's just too absurd. I mean, so absurd that you know sometimes you know it gets to the level where it's so absurd that you just don't even respond to it because it's just too absurd. And lastly, you know, thirdly, I think also when we talk about, you know, the question in terms of Hamas entering Israel, you know, Brother Africa, all the walls, you know, are monitored with cameras. Uh, so even 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 before Hamas could even get close to the walls to jump, or assuming they could get over the walls, they're already monitored. The Israel Defense Forces already know where they are and what they're attempting to do. And their response is, 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 is rapid because they're all, they're stationed throughout the entire, throughout the, the West Bank. And in the Gaza section, so so this notion that somehow that uh, the, the the Hamas was able to sneak into Israel, presumably they went over the walls to get into Israel, it's a laughable. It's really laughable. But again, these Zionists are the masters at deception. Uh, they learned a lot from the United States in terms of deception. They share a lot of information in terms of this, uh, in terms of your know, deception. Uh, so these guys are very, very deception. But as far as as far as uh, my, my my view in terms of you know a similar kind of uh, operation uh, that they employed you know back in '62, I, I think that this is this is a quintessential kind of operation in terms of the use of propaganda for the sole purpose of young people uniting people to just uniting people uh, to justify military intervention or military invasion you know of not only the Gaza but ultimately places like Iran and Syria. Uh, uh, that they perceive as, you know, the, the quintessential threat, you know, to the Zionist regime of, of Israel. So clearly, Brother Africa, clearly, you know, this is all part of a strategy. The notion that Hamas has came into Israel and started shooting up people, it's just absurd. But, you know, but, but again, if people believe the propaganda, then in their minds it's real. But people have to do a little research. So whenever they hear stuff on the, in the media, you have to do a little research and to figure out what's really going on because they're not going to tell you the truth. They can tell you what you what they want you to think, and so clearly, I think this was a a a a a, a, a political operation, and that's my view. And I close with that. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Brother Moses, your thoughts on the paper that was written by Global Research, not the Occupy Post Flag, if they 
copy and paste. Just your general response, Brother Moses. Are you with us, Brother Moses? Can you hear us? I think we are lost at Brother Moses. What we're going to do right now, this is Africa on the Moon. We're going to go to a station break, and when we come back, we're going to ask our political panelists and analysts to give us their final thoughts on today's program, U.S. Front Yard, A Relationship on Slavery. This is Africa on the Moon.
watch your step Cause you never know where the knife will go And they ain't missed yet The songs about the dinner They're always true But that they never teach you in school Are you mad at Big and bad and
Uh, one person who bucked that trend was a, a North Carolina State Supreme Court Justice, uh, Sister um, Anita Earl. And this sister made a statement. She she actually she you know she lamented uh, that there was a lack of diversity in the North Carolina judicial system. And as a result of making that statement, the state's judicial standards commission uh, came down on her in terms of you know trying to censor her. Well, luckily, she, you know, she decided that she's going to fight back. She's going to sue them, you know, for deprivation of her, you know, her First Amendment rights in terms of freedom of speech and power to her. You know, the mere fact that she acknowledged, you know, that there's a deficit in terms of uh, um, uh, diversity, you know, on the, uh, in the judicial system in North Carolina uh, says a lot about her character. I mean, she didn't have to. She could, she could have just play the safe, get the money and keep quiet, but she felt that, you know, what she had to say was relevant, and certainly she's exceptional. And so for those people out there, you know, in the African community, you know, who are in these high positions, you know, who have a strong sense of right and wrong, who are willing to articulate, you know, when they see an injustice, you know, more power to them. But one of the things that I think is very interesting, though, know, the attack on Sister um, uh, Judge Anita Earl, uh, you know, it had a lot to do with politics because I suspect that it, there was probably three reasons why they did that. I think one was the fact that uh, uh, without diversity, uh, you don't have a uh, you don't have a uh, diversity of opinion. You, you know, you essentially have a, a a class dynamic in which you know people engage in group think and not likely to question you know very difficult you know uh, 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 cases as pertain to law. I think secondly, I think one of the things is that one of the reasons why they came down hard on her. It's because, um, you know, uh, because with more diversity, the possibility in terms of questioning the kind of prosecutions that take place becomes reality. Certainly, I think as a right-wing conservative, one of the things they want to do is not to question the, the legal system. They want simply, you know, to enforce the will of the legal system because in their world, you know, in order to have order, then you've got to have, you know, uh, no, no deviation. You've got to simply crush anything that you perceive as, uh, you know, as, as antagonistic to the state, and it doesn't matter whether, whether that individual is innocent or guilty or whatever. The mere fact that uh, the system is sacrosanct uh, means that no one, no one, you know, should uh, question that system, and all who come before that system should be crushed. I think that's very interesting. And lastly, Brother Africa, I think one thing when you talk about diversity in terms of judicial system, uh, one of the things, you know, by eliminating diversity, you eliminate the, the liberal bias that may exist. In terms of in terms of the, the the judicial system, I think one of the things in the context of conservatism, particularly talk about you know southern states in particular like North Carolina, when you talk about conservatism, you know this notion in terms of questioning, you know systematic shortcomings is something that's not likely to be frowned upon. With diversity comes the possibility in terms of some type of uh, analysis in terms of you know how the system works, and I think for for those people who conservative right wingers, I think it's a very difficult pill to swallow. But again, you know, we have to pay homage to the sister, you know, Anita Judge Anita Earl, you know, for her um, for her integrity, uh, her perseverance in terms of, you know, taking on the whole system in terms of right that which is wrong. And certainly, she's exceptional. So you know, much much love and support uh, goes out to her. But having said that, Brother Africa, as always, I encourage people to unravel the matrix. Uh, one of the things is that. You know the changes that we are that we are dealing with, uh, whether it be social, economic, political, are devastating. You know to the African community, and because that's so devastating to the African community, what other recourse will we have but to understand precisely what is going on? That's the only way possible to form any type of strategy in terms of you know our longevity, you know, in the society. 
to the extent that uh, longevity is important to people, I think it's important that people understand that, you know, the work, the hard, very difficult work in terms of raising consciousness, getting people to understand what the issues are, it becomes extremely, extremely important. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night. You do the same, Brother Hackney. You thank you for your contributions to today's program. And now we'll go to Brother Anthony, and we'll get his final thoughts for tonight. Brother Anthony, the mic is yours. Yes. Um, uh, let's see. The only uh, the only way we can defeat uh, imperialism and in all of its manifestations, including Zionism is we have to get organized as a people. Uh, let's see. Uh, all, pe- all Africans who are not in an organization, please join one. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. Uh, objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Uh, we, um, you can check out our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org where you can find out more about our objective program and upcoming activities by visiting our website. And uh, you can uh, find out all our contact information as well. Um, uh, Thank you for having me. And uh, let's see, and I uh, urge all people to join an organization that is working for our people's liberation. That's the only way we're going to defeat the enemies of humanity and uh, planet Earth. Uh, thank you for having me, and have a good night. You do the same, Brother Anthony, and good night to you. And to our listening audience, uh, as always, we thank you for joining us and allowing us to come to your home. We would like to remind you that if you truly want to serve your people, if you want to free Africa, and Brother Anthony and all of my panelists and analysts will often tell you, please join an organization that is working for the liberation of your people. You can join us every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time by calling 323-679-0841. If you'd like to support the station, you can cash up us at dollar sign. Capital L, capital E, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Again, dollar sign, capital L, small e, small e, small c, small r, small o, small b. Thank you. And we'd like to remind our sister Eleanor, we wish the best for you. Get well. We think about you. And uh, we look forward to you having a recovery and come on back and join us. We miss you. Until next time, you listen to Brother Africa. This is Africa on the Move. And like always, let's try to go forward at a backwards level. And remember, can Africanism is the key to set all African free. We'll see you next week. This has been 
Africa on the move. Welcome to Pilgrim And to the Buffalo Who once ruled a plane Like the vultures Circling beneath the dark clouds Looking for the rain Looking for the rain Just like the city that Stagger on the coastline In a nation That just can't stand much more Like the forest Buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter Winter in America Yes, and all of the healers Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know it's winter in America and ain't nobody fighting cause nobody knows what to say save your soul Lord knows from winter in America the constitution a noble piece of paper with free society The struggle but they died in vain And now democracy Is a ragtime on the corner Hoping for some rain It's looking like he's a hoping Hoping for some rain And I see the robbers First in barren treetops Watching last ditch races Marching across the floor But just like the peace behind That vanished in our dreams Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow And now it's winter in America and all of the healers have been killed or betrayed yeah but the people know the people know it's winter Lord knows it's winter in America Nobody knows what to say Save your soul From a winter in America 
it's a winner. 